this podcast has the secret to focusing. It's no secret at all. It's probably your phone. You probably use your phone too much. I use my phone too much. We all collectively use our phones too much. We're on the internet. And the book I read is uh, called Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention and How to Think Deeply Again. This is by Johan Hari. Really enjoyed this book. I took a bunch of highlights and then I tried to do the analog thing of going through. I actually printed them out and then went through with a highlighter and then highlighted those notes. And I'm just going to go through those. I think in the future I'd want to do, I'll, I'll do the quick upfront stuff about the podcast. So yeah, I'm in, I've got my mo, my desk in standing desk mode. So that means I'm serious, I guess. I want to do some more book episodes, book notes episodes. I've been trying to record episodes in my car. I'll get to that. I actually recorded a few and I might post those. It's, I think what I'm going to do is content diet reviews for those. But actually, let me just get into this book. So Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. It's about focusing. So the, the kind of the structure of the book is he goes to Provincetown and takes none of the technology with him. So here we go. I'll just read this from Wikipedia. Provincetown is at the northern tip of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. The, the seaside town is on the site of the Mayflower's landing in 1620, commemorated by the towering Pilgrim Monument and a neighboring Provincetown Museum. So yeah, he, he goes there without his technology, does all of the things like sets an email reminder or not like an email auto response saying that he's going to be unavailable for a few weeks and then sort of lives this life without uh, distraction, without technology. He does bring an iPod with like podcasts and audiobooks, but he doesn't have access to the internet. And I thought I would, yeah, just go through this. And the reason that I'm reading this, the reason I picked it up is I'm trying to focus more on work at work and um, just, I haven't gone like full analog or anything like that, but I do, I have tried for a while to have a separate phone for like different times of the day. So I have an iPod. I actually do have an iPod as well from before this book. It's a good idea from this book, but I did have this set up before. And more recently, I've seen this Twitter thread by, I think it's George Mack. It blew up and he had a great framing of it or just a great, you know, hook in the first tweet and thread. So he has his kale phone and cocaine phone. His cocaine phone is the one that has all the social social media apps and all that. And then he has a kale phone, which is, he suggests just a lot of people have their old phones that they plan to sell. They never sell it. So you might have an old phone lying around. The only thing you want to put on that is whatever you need to get your work done or just like books to read, like Kindle app, whatever it is. So what I actually have uh, set up on my iPod, this is what I use before sleep. I just have, at this point now, it's just Audible, Kindle. I even took browsers off it or disabled my browsers on it. Uh, I think I have drafts in there. I actually have a few more apps than I really should have in there. Uh, I have a few apps for writing. So I think I still have Evernote, Google Docs, drafts, and Apple Notes, but not anything to browse the internet. So I really cannot open a link on it, which is good. So nothing really with a feed. I had to even, I even took my, any podcasting apps off of it because I was finding in the morning or before bed, I would just like refresh the iPod feed. And that's when I knew, you know, do- dopamine will find a way, any way to refresh some- something. So, okay, let me get into the highlights. I wish I had a better structure, but for now, may- I'll work on something for future book notes. Because I'm realizing maybe just going through the highlights is not going to be a good way to do this. We'll see. I don't, I shouldn't, 
I shouldn't say it's going to be bad right at the beginning, right before I start this. It's going to be good. This will be good. So the first fi- first highlight here is a stat. Uh, he writes, for the average American, it's three hours and 15 minutes. We touch our phones 2,617 times at every 24 hours. This is crazy. Like this, this just sounds crazy. And it's one of those things when all the like different screen time things for iOS and Android came to be, and you saw really like how much time you were on the thing. Let me just take a look right now. Daily average, my phone says seven hours and six minutes. That's way more than, you know, I would like. And then I even have limits on different things. So this is what I put right now. Twitter, 10 minutes, Google, Chrome, 15 minutes, Instagram, 15 minutes, TikTok, 10 minutes. Instagram is the one that I tend to like reload when I hit the limit. And then TikTok, I actually like don't hit the limit all that often on it. And Twitter, I just took entirely off my phone. So it's it's not installed at the moment. Not bad for the daily, av- the pickups actually. So 51 is my daily average for pickups. I think I'm okay with, with this, but... I bet it was way more before. I'm actually like not too bad with my phone, but yeah, it's, it's true. It, it is very easy to touch your phone way too much and just continue to, t- to check it. I also have like most of my notifications off. I have, yeah, I have friends where they don't turn any of their notifications off. I, that's rough. I, I think that would be like the first thing to do to regain your attention. Next up, here's a highlight. He's, here's, he, where he describes setting up his iPod. He says, I dug out my old iPod and loaded it with audiobooks and podcasts, and I ran my finger along its screen, thinking about how futuristic this gadget seemed to me when I bought it 12 years ago. Now it looked like something that Noah might have carried onto the Ark. My iPod is not that as old as that. I have the very last iPod. My one regret is that I didn't get like the higher storage on it. And then it became like this collector's item because they discontinued the iPod. So I, I couldn't just buy another one with the higher storage because they go for, I think like 400 bucks now. Then let's see. This next highlight is a good one about how he says I was 39. So he's describing himself with the information, like his like content diet before he went on this internet less trip. He says, I fattened myself with information every waking hour to make myself a more productive writer. And I had started to think that the way I lived was a bit like the process where in a factory farm, foie gras goose is force fed gross amounts in order to turn its liver into pate. That's the end of the quote. This, this has happened to me. I was just like taking way too much information in uh, a couple times in my life. So I remember in college, I was, I loved, you know, Google reader and RSS feeds and blogs. And I was subscribed to to so many that at, at some point I could kind of just refresh it all day. And then there would pretty much be new blog posts coming. And this was the days, these were the days where people would post multiple times a day, like things like Gizmodo and that sort of thing. So you would just see a bunch of posts. People would do a bunch of, it was, I'm guessing like, yeah, Twitter wasn't yet super popular. It had just started by the time I was like, Actually, I, I had been in college when Twitter didn't exist. So yeah, just being like super addicted to this RSS feed. And then of course, yeah, with like social media, it kind of only got worse. So I also think of a couple of years ago. Yes, I was, you know, really into NFTs. And that, that was pretty much, I think, the worst of my internet addiction where, yeah, what, whether it's like 
you know, medically defined addiction or whatever it was or not. I, yeah, I was checking Twitter or uh, Discord at very odd hours of the day. And if I wasn't checking it actively, I was thinking about checking it. So yeah, that that's when, yeah, those were my foie gras internet days. And, you know, it's not, I'm a little better than that now, but would, of course, still like to improve my focus. So the next highlight here is he says, he talks about learning details of, I think this may have been the Sandy Hook massacre, but he says, the day after the massacre, I knew within 10 minutes all the clear tragic details I needed to know from a dead tree. Basically, he's talking about how he was able to get the information he needed from a newspaper and didn't need like the stream of bits and pieces of news coming in throughout the day. And yeah, this other way to consume the news, this old-fashioned way, was probably better for his attention, for his his health. And then uh, I wrote a note here in the Kindle app. So yeah, this just reminded me. So when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, I remember following it very closely for two hours. It's just like, just refreshing things, texting friends. And it's okay, some, some of that two hours maybe was useful for staying informed. And I think there is something nice about monoculture, not necessarily this instance of it, more like when something positive happens, when there's an exciting like basketball game or, you know, Super Bowl, I think is a good example of this, or like the Game of Thrones season finale, maybe not necessarily like the final season, though I don't mind it as much as some people. So I think, I think there's something nice about that, but yeah, like a couple hours to follow like this one moment was definitely like too much time to spend doing that. Then here we go. Another quote, or I just wrote a note here. Another one was actually here. Here's the quote that I wrote it for. He says, if we don't change court course, he fears we are headed toward a world where there's going to be an upper class of people that are very aware of the risks of their attention and find ways to live within their limits. And then there will be the rest of society with fewer resources to resist the manipulation. And they're going to be living more and more inside their computers, being manipulated more and more. And the note that I wrote there was, I, I wrote, yesterday we were in an Uber. I think we we're driving through the city. And yeah, I saw five people sitting on folding chairs outside. And what they were doing was everyone was on a tablet or a phone just watching stuff. They weren't talking to each other. It wasn't one of those, yeah, the things that's, oh yeah, they, they come here, they gather here every day and then talk to each other. It's No, it seems like they uh, sit together and then uh, watch stuff together on their phones. And this happens with all sorts of groups, actually. Like, I've certainly spent time doing that with family, with friends, and it's kind of what we've, what's just happened. So another quote here, he writes, what's happening with our cell phones is that we put a thing in our pocket that's with us all the time, that always offers an easy thing to do. And earlier he says, what makes us happy is doing the thing that's a little bit difficult. So this is that idea of, I do, uh, maybe separately, like this is an idea from Laura Vanderkam, but she talks about effortful fun. And this is something that I've tried to embrace this year, that things that are more like the most fun, a little more rewarding are often just like looking back, it's like, oh yeah, it took some effort to put that plan together to invite friends or accept the invite and then, you know, make the trip out to see people, spend time with people. Those are those times are much more memorable than any hour spent like scrolling on a phone. But it is so easy, so, so, so easy to just grab the thing in our pocket and then not be bored. 
and then just about reading. So a, a part of this book that I really liked was just this reminder to myself that reading is a really good activity, uh, reading books specifically. And since then, I've been reading a little bit more. I would finish this book and then also finished a book called, I can't even remember the title. I do know the, the, the author. So it's uh, Stephen Kotler. Let me look up the name of this book. So I don't, The Art of Impossible. So I picked up that book after reading in this book about flow. And then The Art of Impossible has a lot about flow. And yeah, I got, I think, you know, experienced some good flow reading that. I read it outdoors. And here's the, here's a highlight from Stolen Focus about reading. He says, the scientists investigating this also discovered that if you make people read quickly, they are much less likely to grapple with complex or challenging material. They start to prefer simplistic statements. So I think a good thing about Twitter and social media, if you're like creating on it, is that you learn to write sort of like hooks, like things that will gather people's attention. And then also to simplify your writing, I think generally that can be a good thing because simpler is often more clear, but then it can go too far in that direction that once you start like reading a feed, it's it's only simple statements. There's no paragraphs. If you see a paragraph, it's like, oh God, well, uh, I got to read this paragraph. And now with, if it's not a thread and it's these long Twitter posts, X posts that are, you know, multiple paragraphs, it's like, oh man, the, this is so hard to read. And it's really not, it's not that long at all, but we've become so used to reading these simple statements. And then yeah, I wrote a note here of uh, a couple books I read last year were The Sovereign Individual and then A World Lit Only by Fire. These aren't like the hardest books to read, but they're like much harder than scrolling through a feed. And those two books, I think the thing that they have in common is that I read them on flights. And for whatever reason, it's flights where I'm able to really like focus and read. And often I don't get Wi-Fi and I do just like to read. It's the only place where I think I can read for an hour straight. And I know, I just know if I was going to read one of these books and I wasn't on a flight, it'd probably be much harder. And I would be checking different things, um, you know, reading a page or two and then looking something up. That That's where it gets hard even to read Kindle books is, yeah, have it, have the device. But if I'm reading on my phone, it's so easy to like look something up. This was something I saw when I was reading Chuck Klosterman's book, The 90s. He'd mentioned like a song from the 90s that he's writing about, but then I'm like, oh yeah, let me check that music video out. And I would just start looking stuff up and that would pull me out. So I, I think there's a great argument for reading physical books and I always want to, I'll, and I even buy the physical books, but then I just never sit down and read them. I'd love to change that because it does change the experience and maybe I can bring that like airplane experience home. Then let me see, let me get to this next highlight. He's writing, he writes, he said, the brain is like a muscle. The more you use certain things, the stronger the connection's getting and the better things work. If you are struggling to focus, he said, just try monotasking for 10 minutes and then allow yourself to be distracted for a minute, then monotask for another 10 minutes and so on. That's the end of the quote. And this does sound familiar to the Pomodoro technique, which is 25 minutes and then five minutes off for distraction, your break, not necessarily distraction, I guess, for Pomodoro technique. The guidance is, I think, to get away from screens, get away from anything that requires thinking where this is more, yeah, 10 minutes, then one minute of distraction. I like this. I want to try this as well to see how it goes because for like the Pomodoro technique, it's like, oh yeah, you should probably try to build up to 25 minutes. 
And yeah, 10 minutes seems 10 and 10, 1, 10, 1, 10, 1 seems like a, a pretty good, good cadence, I guess, to try. Then as far as monotasking, he goes further on and he's writing about someone I should, I should have written down who this is, but he says, it's a mistake. He said to try to monotask by force of will because it's too hard to resist that informational tap on the shoulder. So yeah, that's where you, just trying to monotask is hard if you're not going to also change your environment. You don't have to go to Provincetown to change your environment. You can find the ways to do it. First of all, like most important thing, leave your phone, take your phone out of the room. I don't have the highlight here, or I'm not sure if it was from this book that I learned it, but it's just this idea that if your phone is in your room at all, or if you have like a device where the notifications are going to be on, but in particular your phone, even if it's just in the same room, it's going to affect your attention. Then here, another one on reading. He says, Every time I left the beach house, I instinctively patted my pocket to make sure my phone was there, and I always felt a lurch when I realized it was missing. It was like I had lost part of my own body. I turned into, or I turned to my piles of books, thinking idly of how, all through my teens and twenties, I would spend days on end lying in bed, doing nothing but reading in one great gulp. That's the end of the quote. It does feel good to just read a book for a long time. That feels so much better than doom scrolling, right? This does remind me though of Cal Newport. He has a great podcast, one of my favorite podcasts. He has recently recommended to like practice focus and practice staying off of your phone is go to the theater and watch a movie because you're not going to use your phone there unless you're a monster. And then, yeah, it gives you a reason to not look at it and then something else to focus on during that time. And yeah, it's, it seems like one of these things where things have flipped where Maybe in the past, in, I don't know, the 90s or something, like, maybe there's this idea that movies will rot your brain. Maybe it was more like TV, but I'm sure, like, movies sometimes got lumped into that. And now it's like, oh, no, movies will be good for you to practice focus because of just how distracted we've gotten by these tiny screens. Yeah, I watched Oppenheimer a few weeks ago, and that was great. Just a time away from phone. Then, here we go. He (laughs) makes this comment. I was scanning Charles Dickens the way you might scan a blog for vital information. That's the end of the quote. And yeah, he he just has a section about how the way that we read online has now leaked into how we read different mediums. So even if I did pick up a physical book, I would still feel that nudge to start looking stuff up. And then I might just, you know, put the book away and then go look it up on the on the laptop or go walk to my phone and look that up. And then, yeah, we just start skimming. Maybe I'll go through the table of contents. Let me like you know, just, just like try to find some, some other way to read this book rather than just sitting and paging through it one by one. And I found that with my Kindle also, especially like if it's the Kindle app on one of the devices, especially, yeah, but they all have the store now like readily available. And when you open up the app, it starts to show you recommendations of books you haven't purchased yet. And I love it because it's like, oh yeah, these books would be cool, but I definitely would turn it off if I could just because it's so Every time I like turn the device on, it's like, now I'm shopping instead of reading uh, when my intent was really to, to read. And yeah, he says, my reading was manic and extractive. Okay, I've got it. He's an orphan. What's your point? I could see this was foolish, but I couldn't stop. I couldn't slow my mind in the way that yoga slowed my body. That's the end of the quote. And may- maybe this is like one of the reasons that I want to do a podcast about different books that I'm reading is just to try to digest these books that I'm reading. So I'm not just going from one to the other to the other. And just to, I guess, practice reading. I think it's a good thing. And I think I have seen my attention kind of improve as I've 
I was able to really, when I started to read The Art of Impossible, I took my Kindle, I pulled a camping chair out, and then just had it in the yard, sat with Booster. She was on her Coolaroo bed, and I just read for an hour. It was great. You know, fresh air, sun, and a book to read. And I like that feeling of getting my attention back. Further on, he writes about like his use of social media. So he writes here, Every day in my normal life, sometimes several times a day, I would look at Twitter and Instagram to see how many followers I had. I didn't look at the feed, the news, the buzz, just my own stats. That's the end of the quote. This resonates a lot, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, another, Twitter is very addicting if you write something and then I haven't had something go like wildly, wildly viral or anything like that, but I have in my life probably posted stuff that's gotten, I think like hundreds of likes and not thousands, but it's just like, oh yeah, once that goes, then you start to see that bell, all the notifications going. That dopamine hit is is different than just refreshing and seeing new content. And then it's the same thing on YouTube. I'll post something, I'll post this. Actually, like this isn't so bad. These long videos, you know, no, no one checks these. But if, if a short gets some some views, then I just start to refresh. It, it does sound sad to say that out loud. But to check the stats on what you've posted, yeah, I, I do that. I know exactly what he's talking about and like how addicting that can be. Now, this next highlight, he writes, the mystique of rock climbing is climbing. You get to the top of a rock, glad it's over, but really wish it could go on forever. The justification of climbing is climbing, like the justification of poetry is writing. You don't conquer anything except things in yourself. This was just a, the note I wrote here was like, oh yeah, find something you don't want to end. I guess that's not necessarily... Like, about focus, but it, it kind of is. So I, I guess it is. So eventually this is about finding things that get you into a flow state and flow is very important to this idea of stolen focus that we made it harder to get into flow states, notifications, knock you out of flow states, all these different things, all these different channels that we have open throughout the day, make it difficult to get into a flow state and to stay in, in a flow state. And then he writes about this. Um, he says, when and he's writing about, I think, uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, the great flow researcher. He writes, when he began to explain to people what a flow state is and asked if they had ever experienced something like it, 85% of them re remembered and recognized at least one time they'd felt this way. And they often said these moments were the highlights of their lives. That's the end of the quote. The note I wrote here, I wrote basketball with five exclamation points. <laughs> I, I always mentioned basketball and that I'm not good at basketball, but I love to play pickup basketball. It's like just one of the great joys and team sports, any sort of team sports or even, yeah, team sports, I guess, because I'm playing doubles, so pickleball also. This is just a, a great way to get into a flow state, but you don't have to be doing something super physical to get into a flow state either. Reading, actually, I think I have highlight in the later on about how reading is a great way to get into flow state as well. So he writes, to find flow, you need to choose one single goal. Make sure your goal is meaningful to you and try to push yourself to the edge of your abilities. Once you've created these conditions and you hit flow, you can recognize it because it's a distinctive mental state. You feel you are purely present in the moment. You experience a loss of consciousness. In this state, it's like your ego has vanished and you have merged with the task. Like you are the rock you are climbing. That's the end of the quote. And something from the other book by Stephen Kotler, The Art of Impossible, he describes like how time changes when you're in flow that Either it speeds up a lot or it slows down a lot that you're, you forget to eat because it's time is just speeding up. You're just so absorbed in what you're doing. So that's one way. 
or it slows down a lot. So this is where you're in complete flow in sync with your teammates playing basketball. And then not that I experience this often or at all, but yeah, you're playing out of your mind. You know, you make the pass, you hit the shot and you're not really thinking about it at all. Then he writes, the more you flow, you experience the better you feel. And then about Mihai Csikszent Mihai, he writes, in the late 1980s, he discovered that staring at a screen is one of the activities we take part in that on average provides the lowest amount of flow. Then he writes further down, I noticed that if I spent a day where I experienced three hours of flow early on for the rest of the day, I felt relaxed and open and able to engage. So you can take the flow with you. That was my takeaway here that if you can get that in the morning, it improves the rest of your day. So this, all of this makes me want to run. I think running seems to be a way to get into flow that a lot of people have. I don't super, I would say, experience it with lifting weights. So I don't have the Arnold Schwarzenegger experience of how much he enjoys lifting weights and then like really focusing and then thinking like giving his muscles, putting his focus on his muscles. Most it's probably because I listen to like podcasts or watch shows while I'm lifting that it is not really a flow activity for me. But I wrote a note here about just that. This is one of the reasons morning pages work so well. That's my hunch that, yeah, just starting the day and then just blasting away on the keyboard, just whatever thoughts and free writing for half an hour in the morning can make the next few hours feel really good. So that's something I try to do. I wanted, I should try to do that more actually. I remember there was a day a couple of weeks ago where I just went to a coffee shop, wrote for, I think it was like 30 minutes and then felt pretty good after for a few hours after where the contrast of that is when I try to write long form. I, I think I've ruled out trying to write long form anything because I get so grumpy after. I'm like not, I'm very irritable because rarely do I finish it like in a sitting. So if I'm trying to write like a long blog post or when I'm trying to write a Twitter thread and that, yeah, it just takes too long. I'm irritable. And then when I post it, I just keep checking. <laughs> like I said, okay, is anyone looking at this? Is anyone liking it? And then when they don't, it's like, you know, I spent more time on it. It hurts more when that doesn't go. Okay, enough of that. So next he talks about, I placed my deck chair in the ocean. So the sea was lapping at my feet and I finished the third volume of War and Peace. So this is just, maybe this is what inspired me to take the camping chair and read in the yard to read outdoors. But I do like the idea of just change your environment, try to change your environment for focus. Next, uh, another section in the book is about sleep. He says, one day I woke up without any alarms after sleeping for nine hours and I realized that I didn't want any coffee. That's the end of the quote. Maybe someday I'll experience this again. I always seem to want coffee. I know I have, I have cut down on caffeine though. So I try to limit to, you know, 300 milligrams and I don't I, like, I was drinking a lot uh, of coffee, like before I was trying to cut it down because I, I know some people will hear, oh, 300, that's still kind of a lot actually. And it is, but it's not, it's, it's cut down from what I was doing before. Next, he writes, she discovered that on average, a typical student has the same sleep quality as an active duty soldier or a parent of a newborn baby. It's the end of the quote, but yeah, we, we can all get more sleep, I think. Except a lot of my friends now are uh, parents of newborn babies or just young children. So the sleep is not quite there. And then another one. I think we've kind of all heard, if, if you listen to self-development stuff or watch any Andrew Huberman, you know, get, get off your phones before bed. 
But there's an explanation here. So he writes, we evolved to get a rush of energy, a surge of waking drive. Charles says, when the sun began to set, this was very helpful for our ancestors. Imagine you're out camping and the sun starts to fall. It's very useful if you then feel a rush of wakefulness because then you'll be able to set up your tent before it's too dark to do it. That's the end of the quote. So it's just this idea that once it gets dark, you got to you got to go. You got to go somewhere and do things. But if we kind of simulate that it's not yet dark and then we finally finally turn our screens off and we're ready for bed and that's when we get this rush of energy. Mimic mimicking that because we think the sun has just set so we need this rush of energy right when we're trying to really actually sleep. I try to have a rule, like I follow it maybe 20% of the time. I should follow it more of um, only having my iPod in the bedroom and then only listening, like trying to listen to something as soon as possible instead of trying to like read or look at a screen again. Then here's another quote. He's talking about, I think it's someone that works at the library. He saw that it was, it's either a library or bookstore. He says that she was reading a different book every day and he tells her, wow, I said, you read fast. Oh, she replied, I don't. I can only read the first chapter or two of a book. I asked, really? Why? She said, I guess I can't focus. That's the end of the quote. And if I open up my Kindle app, probably like the top eight most recent books, I've only read, you know, the first few chapters, if that, because yeah, I just sometimes can't focus all the other books. Nothing like a new book to jump out of your current book. Then he says, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi has discovered in his research that one of the simplest and most common forms of flow that people experience in their lives is reading a book. And like other forms of flow, it is being choked off in our culture of constant distraction. That's the end of the quote. And then back to this idea of how we read the internet affecting how we read books. He says, this creates a different relationship with reading. It stops from it stops being a form of pleasurable immersion in another world and becomes more like dashing around a busy supermarket to grab what you need and then get out again. When this flip takes place, when our screen reading contaminates our book reading, we lose some of the pleasures of reading books themselves and they become less appealing. And so, yeah, that's why I am trying to finish books again. There, there have been years where I tried to read one book a week and I was reading them pretty quickly. But in probably like the past year, I haven't been reading quite as much, I would say. And I've been doing a lot more jumping between different books. And I know that there's a lot of people who kind of hate the book a week thing that you're probably not reading those deeply, but I actually think it's a better way for me. I, I think, I think it is better, uh, for me to, to do it that way than to what I've been doing, just like jumping around without really being deliberate about my reading. I think with the like one book a week thing, it was focused reading and then just really find like with it being a goal I, it's like a weird goal but i wasn't doing any like crazy skimming of different books as far as i remember so i think it could be a good thing read one book a week talk about it and that can be this podcast if if i try my goal actually is i was writing this down yesterday i think something more reasonable might be three books a month and then one podcast each week or each month can be about you know some random doc some other like compilation of things, but we'll see. So he goes on to talk about social media and Twitter. He says, I realized that the times in my own life when I've been most successful on Twitter in terms of followers and retweets are the times when I have been least useful as a human being, when I've been attention deprived, simplistic, vituperative, 
Of course, there are occasional nuggets of insight on the site, but if this becomes your dominant mode of absorbing information, I believe the quality of your thinking will rapidly degrade. That's the end of the quote. All I can say is, I agree. I don't know about like the thoughts degrading, but not that I agree, just that this has happened to me, where the times that I've been actively, actively like using and writing on Twitter were, as I mentioned, part of that time was when I was like reading a lot about like crypto stuff. And it's not necessarily that it was more just like the amount that I was using it and like that drip, drip, drip was, was not great. And yeah, those, yeah, those moments where I caught myself re-logging in, I would even like change my passwords and yeah, it was just like, oh man, am I really like re-logging into this thing? Am I typing in this 40 character password so I can go check if someone liked my post? It, I was not the best human being there. And this last quote actually, cause this, this is getting a little long, I'm approaching 40 minutes of recording. So thanks for listening, but I'll put this last quote from this book. He, he writes, I would never go for a walk without listening to a podcast or talking on the phone. I would never wait two minutes in a store without looking at my phone or reading a book. The idea of not filling every minute with stimulation panicked me. And I found it weird when I saw other people not doing it. That's the end of the quote. I always take booster on walks with a podcast or an audiobook. Actually, not always. So I used to record more like in this app called Otter just to like voice record things. And I'm going to start doing that again. I was kind of thinking that the reason I stopped was that I was recording and then I wasn't really doing anything with the recordings. I wasn't like reviewing it as because it'll transcribe it. I wasn't like doing anything with the transcriptions. I thought it was also like kind of detrimental in a way that it made me feel like I was accomplishing something that I was actually like posting things when I never was. But I think it actually was a good idea a good activity for me to just do my thinking out loud while walking instead of just like adding more and more information in with podcasts and audiobooks. Anyway, so that's 40 minutes. I had a whole other section of things, but I think that's pretty good. I, I, the main points from this book or like the, the, the main sections, like chapters that I liked and really enjoyed were these about like these takeaways. I guess they... In a way, it's it's kind of the opposite intention of the book because he does have a good chapter, like, yeah, good chapters about like how society has changed, how technology has changed things, and that there's a bigger picture thing here that we need to collectively take action to build a movement to have, like, let me go to the very end so I can at least try to spread his message around for, he says, one, ban surveillance capitalism because people who are being hacked and deliberately hooked can't focus. To introduce a four-day work week because people who are chronically exhausted can't pay attention. And three, rebuild childhood around letting kids play freely in their neighborhoods and at school because children who are imprisoned in their homes won't be able to develop a healthy ability to pay attention. So yeah, there's good chapters just about all these societal things that can be changed to improve our focus and our attention. That said, my main takeaways were just at a personal level of things that it's making me do. So to try to help my own attention and one is reading again, trying to read and finish books, and maybe someday I'll actually switch to a physical book again. But I am really enjoying my camping chair outdoor reading. I might do that. And then two is to start taking walks without audiobooks and podcasts, at least some of the time. So I'm going to start recording audio again and just like talking to myself. So I think it's a good activity. Maybe it helps me enjoy the fresh air some more. And then three, continue to find ways to not use my phone quite so much at home. Anyway, yeah, thanks for 
for listening, for watching, if you're watching this. And check out the book, Stolen Focus. It's, it's a good one.